Okay. We are kind of in the middle of Genesis chapter 27 today. You know, one of the remarkable things about this Scripture is uh, God didn't write it the way I would have. <laughs> Actually, that's, I guess, not all that remarkable now that you think about it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you... You, if, if I was writing it, I'd try and I'd try and paint these saints to look like saints, but uh, he doesn't. He doesn't do that, and so this chapter is not particularly an easy chapter to study, is it? It's uh, kind of an unpleasant story in many ways. Actually, he did. He did what? As saints, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. So, at any rate, it is a difficult passage uh, to to study because there's so much ugly stuff in it. But uh, but there is a lot to learn. So that's what we're working on. And uh, last week we looked at about the first 17, 18 verses or so, and and uh, today we want to pick it up in verse 18 and and uh, hopefully get down through about verse uh, 29 or so through the blessing. Uh, so. Uh, before we read today's passage, though, kind of look back there through the first part of the chapter and remind us of what we talked about last week. Okay. Okay. We'll develop that thought a little bit more today. What else? That's an interesting thought, yeah. That's an interesting thought. I wondered why, you know, because presumably, I mean, we know he's married by this time. He obviously has his own household. And I was wondering, I was wondering about that as I read that. Why does she have some of his best clothes in her in her house? I don't, you know, so, so you're right. She may have had this scoped out ahead of time. But you're right. She had her husband pretty well pegged, as I'm afraid my wife <laughs> does me as well. So uh, I hopefully she puts it to better use than Rebecca did, <laughs> and she does. You were going to say something, Rick? You look like you were. I just like your description of her situation in red lights and siren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we get in those situations, don't we? We, we all get in those situations. They're just it's the crisis, folks, and we got to do something. We don't have time to. Stop and pray and trust God and all that sort of stuff. It's you know we got to act now. We got to do something or or things are going to go wrong and God's will isn't going to be done. You know, and uh, that's that's how she's that's how she's operating. What else? She taught her son well. Apparently, yeah. I, I, you can't tell with his knee as you read down and then. 
as we go on further today, he just flat out lies to his father and doesn't say that there's some issue or he, you know, regrets it later or any of that. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Yeah. And she's teaching him how to be manipulative and, and lie. And yeah. So that's pretty instructive because we at our house we have <clears throat> we have our grandkids around. We we use code words whenever it looks like the subject is coming up that we think they're going to absorb. So we say, well, there's sponges around. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, the code yeah. word is, well, let's not talk about that. Yeah. They're just going to pick right up. Yeah. And it's not that we're lying, but they're, they're going to repeat what we say. Yeah. Yeah. And so apparently... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's part of it, and of course we understand too that some of it is is just inborn nature. Yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a ready learner, but he was also a skilled learner. So yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Birthright didn't seem to be all that important. Yeah. Yeah, he has this. We 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 talked about this this uh, attitude that Esau seems to have towards spiritual things of just complete indifference to him to the birthright and in marrying these Canaanite women. He's just he's just totally indifferent to spiritual issues, and and uh, you would think that that would give Esau or Isaac pause before he charges ahead on. On, uh, on granting the, the blessing when he, when he sees how his son has disregarded spiritual things. But he doesn't because, uh, well, uh, Mike pointed out, he's probably got his mind made up. He's a little stubborn and he's insistent on, I'm going to do things my way. But, but there's that. And, and then there's just that, that spiritual blindness. And as we're going to observe today, I, or talk about today, I don't think he was completely spiritually blind, but he certainly had blind spots. <laughs> in his life and, and they had devastating consequences. So, uh, it's a sobering, sobering lesson. Uh, you'll remember too, we, we kind of talked about four, we have these four characters, the primary characters are the characters of this story and they really represent kind of four different spiritual conditions that we can fall into. There's Esau who's completely indifferent to spiritual things and then there's Isaac, who is who is a spiritual man, and he's a man of faith, but he has these blind spots, these spiritual blind spots in his life, for whatever reason. And I do think, as many commentators also think, that uh, by the way the text is written, that it seems like his sensuality, his love for food, for a good dish of food, is what led him to some degree into this spiritual blindness. But whatever the case, he has these blind spots. Uh, and then you have Jacob, who has some desire for these spiritual things, but but at best he's immature and and uh, and not developed in his spiritual sensitivity. And as we're going to see today, he doesn't even really own God as God at this point in his life. Uh, and uh, and then we have Rebecca, who has a great deal of spiritual insight and and uh, perception. Uh, and, and she sees what needs to be done spiritually, but she just opts to do it by the arm of the flesh, <laughs> you know, in, in, you know, red lights and siren mode. You know, you don't have time. You know, somebody 
at one point last week we were talking about what should they have done or what should she have done, what should Jacob have done and that sort of thing. And somebody said, they, you know, somebody, one of the ladies last week, I don't remember who it was, commented, well, they should have trusted God. And, and I kind of facetiously said, she didn't have time to trust God. You know, I mean, you know, things are happening. you got to act. And, uh, it, you know, it sounds facetious when we say it, but how many times in our life do we live it out that way? Yeah, so, so there are four kind of spiritual types there that we see that we can we can learn from and hopefully uh, avoid it some to some degree at least in our life. Well, we left uh, Jacob then standing there holding that dish of food, that great dish of whatever it was. Uh, well, goat, you know, it doesn't sound all that good to me, but but he's standing there holding that goat meat and and uh, and as we see some wine and some bread and. And uh, all decked out in his brother's clothes, you know, it's quite a sight there, you know, animal skins tied to his hands and his neck. And and that's where we left him standing there. And the question is, what is he going to do? And of course, as we see today, he charges right ahead, you know, no hesitation. Once his mother convinced him, he charges right ahead. So picking it up in verse 18, it says, then he came to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please, and eat. Uh, sit and eat of my game, that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau hands. So he blessed him and said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate, and he also brought wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Okay, we'll stop there. We'll be doing good to get that far today. Well, one of the things I... I ask myself as I as I look at this passage, as I ask, uh, why does he go into such detail? Why does the Lord find it necessary to tell us this whole story in such detail? I mean, it it is important, of course, to know that Jacob stole the blessing, and and uh, and it's important to know, you know, the kind of the general thrust uh, thrust of things, how it happened, but. But why is it necessary to tell us all these 
kind of gory details, so to speak, of this whole deception. What was said back and forth? Why couldn't God just say that Jacob deceived his father and stole his brother's blessing? You know, and go on. Why does he take time to go through all this? And and as I and as I read that, I think I think obviously God's got something He's trying to communicate here. He's got something He's trying to say here. And 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 when I'm when I'm wrestling with that, particularly in Genesis, when I'm wrestling with that question of why does God say this, or why does God take all the time to develop this particular thought or another particular thought somewhere in Genesis, I always go back and I remember who did He write it to? Who was it first written to? Pardon? To Israel, wandering in the wilderness. Remember, we've talked about that a number of times. Okay, so this is written first and foremost for the benefit of Israel as it's wandering in the wilderness before it enters the promised land. And and as I read this story and think about it and then think, how does this affect Israel or what is God trying to say to Israel? I think one of the things that I, I there may be a number of things, but one of the things that comes to my mind is He's just trying to tell Israel. People, you are nothing special. What you are, you are you are by my grace and by the work that I have done. And your your daddies were, you know, they're no better than anybody else. And and uh, the blessing that I bestowed on you and the special position that you hold in the world and the special position that you hold in my redemptive plan, I have done. And uh, and, and and you you are you are what you are by my grace and. And Israel needed to hear that because they were very inclined to think that there was something really hot about them, and and you know, and God owed them a lot. And and I think one of the points that God is trying to make is, listen, there's a lot of stuff back there in the beginning that really isn't all that complimentary. So you know, don't don't brag too much on on where you are and 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 what you are in relationship to me. So I know I think that's one of the things, but I think there's some things there too that are particularly instructive to us, and hopefully we can pick up on some of those things as they go through. But the first thing that strikes me is we have we have uh, Jacob now. He comes in to his father Isaac and, you know, in this picture that I just painted for you, all decked out in his brother's clothes and, and, and goat hair tied to his neck and tied to his hand. You know, I don't know about you, but if I was Jacob, I'd feel pretty stupid at this point, you know. Uh, there's something about Jacob here. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't totally understand. I, I, we'll develop this a little bit more, but I don't know how he pulled this off. Because I tell you what, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to paint myself as a, as a paragon of integrity here, but, but uh, I, I couldn't, you know, I don't think I could pull off a bluff like this. I'd fall apart about the first sentence, you know. He comes in there all decked out in his brother's clothes and wearing the stupid goat hair on his hands and on his neck and, and lying through his teeth. And, 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 and he is afraid that his dad's going to curse him. And, uh, and, and he comes in in this situation, he comes in as the deceiver. And, and his name, uh, Jacob, meaning to supplant, of course, actually means a heel grabber. And, and so we often translate it or, or attach the meaning to it of supplanter, which is appropriate. But it also has that sense or that meaning of deception to it. Uh, the idea of the heel grabber is, is not somebody who overthrows somebody by just sheer force, you know, by, 
by uh, sheer overcoming them by force, but it's the idea who some, somebody who does it through subtlety and through deceit. Okay, and so he is he is the deceiver, and he comes as the deceiver encountering the blind man. We have just here we just have a scenario for a disaster, don't we? We have the. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, he could hear well. Uh, but but I just thought about how you know we talked about how uh, uh, Isaac's blindness, his physical blindness, is a is a metaphor for his spiritual blindness. And and I do want to make it clear. I don't want to characterize uh, Isaac as just this totally you know confused, bewildered, spiritually nothing, you know. Isaac is a spiritual man. Isaac is a man of faith. That's very clear from Scripture. And, uh, and, and Isaac does have a great deal of perception about spiritual issues. But he just has some significant blind spots. And, and at least the ones that are obvious to us are the blind spots about Esau. And he has, he has cultivated this attitude or this relationship towards Esau of favoritism that has has blinded him to Esau's real spiritual condition and has blinded him to the to uh, the to how much he would jeopardize the promise and the blessing of God if he entrusts it to this man who is absolutely indifferent to these things and somehow in this area Esau has just gotten really blinded to what's at stake here and whether it's you know, I, I don't know all the reasons if it's because of his sensuality or his stubbornness or whatever it is, but he's just he has these blind spots in his life. And when the when a, when when the when the person who is spiritually blind or the, when the person who has who has uh, areas of spiritual blindness, blind spots in their life encounters the deceiver, then we're looking for a disaster, aren't we? And that's what happens here. Okay. And and as I thought about that, you know, there are a lot of spiritual conditions that are, you know, they're they're dangerous and they're ugly and they're I don't, I don't know what words to use, but I but I can't think of any condition that's scarier than spiritual blindness. And the reason is there is no spiritually blind person that knows that they're spiritually blind. You know, we may, we may struggle with things like pride in our lives and we may know that we're proud. <laughs> or we may struggle with things like, uh, like lust in our life and we know we struggle with lust. You know, we may uh, uh, struggle with anger in our life and we know that we have a sin of anger in our life and that it needs to be dealt with. But when you're deceived, you have no clue. And that's the scariest thing to me about spiritual deception, isn't it? How, how do you know when you're deceived? By definition, when you're deceived, you think you know the truth. Okay? And, and so, so here we have this picture of Isaac and he, he doesn't want to be deceived. He doesn't want to be deceived. He's, being, he's trying to be very careful so that he's not deceived. But he is deceived because he cannot See, okay. Now, of course, we're talking physically here, but but there's really a spiritual metaphor there for us in our own lives. Yes, Rick. Well, I was just thinking that 
No, not necessarily. Uh, well, as far as the culture is concerned, I don't even know if there was such a thing as a blessing. There was the birthright, okay? But even at that, even at that, the birthright typically went to the oldest son, but not exclusively. Yeah, yeah, and there were exceptions. There were, there are exceptions in the secular literature. We see examples of exceptions of the birthright going to a a younger son. And of course, we'll see it later, like, I, like I've mentioned in, in Jacob's blessing of the two sons of Joseph. He actually crosses his hands and makes sure that the younger son gets the, you know. So, uh, so it wasn't, uh, it, was, it was the custom uh, that the older son would get the birthright uh, and, of course, the blessing. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily uh, uh, locked in stone, so to speak. So, yeah, somebody had a comment back here? Oh, okay. They looked at each other like, not me. <laughs> Pardon? I have lots of questions. Like, how do you forgive? I mean, what's the point of forgiving? Well, that's the obvious that's question. The obvious yeah. question? Yeah. He, I mean, I was thinking, why didn't he have to see your other son at the same time? You know? How do you... <laughs> well, we don't think of all those things, and uh, but but that's 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 the first obvious question that comes to our mind. If if the nature of spiritual deception is you don't know you're deceived, if that's you know that's the great peril of spiritual deception, how do we avoid it? So Ginger asked the question. I'm, Ginger asked the question. I'm going to throw it out to you. How do you avoid it? Well, I immediately thought of the verse in Hebrews. And I was going to look it up, and it took me a couple of minutes to find it. Where it says that we are through um, training, we learn to discern. So, this is not an immediate thing. It's a, a training takes time. And okay. It could imply uh, good teachers. It could imply, it could imply mentors. Okay. Um, but, it, but it's definitely a process, a time process. Okay. So training is one way we avoid because we learn to discern. Okay. Okay. What else? Yeah, Kevin. One thought that comes to mind is the scripture in James, the preacher says, there is the word, not merely there is the word themselves. Okay. And so I've always seen that connection that the danger of being here of the word not putting it into practice leads to delusion. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, couple over here. Rick, first. Well, I was backtracking a little bit to uh, Isaac there. Aiding his spiritual deception with that, he could probably smell a pot of goat stew right there. <laughs> I want this stew. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I do think that it, it seems like the text back in chapter 25 and then here in 27 does put a lot of emphasis on how much he loved that wild game. You know, he really loved it. And and it does associate his love for Esau with wild game. Now, I understand having favoritism towards your kids, but that's one's a little hard for me to grasp, you know, is to have favoritism towards a kid just because he was a good hunter and cook, you know, but... Yourself, yeah, it's a self-centered thing, and there's a sensuality there. So, uh, but before we get on, I think Karen, you had to suit something. Well, also, just Psalm 19, I was talking about 
two can discern his error, but before that it's talking about the law of the Lord and the precepts and the statutes and how perfect they are. And then it's beautiful that it's talking about, it really asks the question, who can discern his error? And forgive my hidden thoughts and faults and keep, you, keep me from willful sin. May they not be all over me, but I can be blameless and innocent of right transgression. So basically, I guess it's just it's a timeless question. Yeah. It's like everybody has had that question. Yeah. How can I see my hidden faults? Yeah. And I guess I just I think it all goes back to everything that you said. It just it is a matter of total trust that God will reveal them mm-hmm. to us because He's done that for me. I know. Yeah. Uh, in like, you know, breaks you down. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, um, and so that's just a passage that really talks about that. And again, just that beautiful, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody back here had something. Uh, just a couple of thoughts about this. The characterization of being deceived or compromised, if you will, maybe. You mentioned earlier that it's very easy for somebody who's pure to see a counterfeit. You know, he wasn't seeing the counterfeit. Mm-hmm. He was just seeing what he expected to see. Yeah. He was not expecting to be that to see. So yeah. Something that mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> he couldn't see it. He refused to believe it. He, he had some natural mystery. Yeah. That's true. I mean, he, he did make a diligent effort here to to uncover and uh, and it's pretty hard to imagine the audacity and the coldness of a man like Jacob, you know. Uh, when you mentioned Psalm 119, another passage popped to my mind, uh, which I think addresses the question, which is uh, there at the beginning of Psalm 119, where he says in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word... I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. I think, I think, uh, of course, first and foremost is there, there just has to be a desperate cry to God. God, don't let me be deceived. I mean, we we have to we have to let Him know how passionately we want to see. But uh, but aside from that, or in addition to that, I should say, uh, I don't know any more foundational. Thing to avoiding deception than to have our minds and our hearts saturated and permeated by the Word of God. You know, I just, you know, I don't know how we can imagine that we can avoid deception if we just casually approach God's Word and 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 don't make it our 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 very life bread and eat it and sleep it and drink it and eat it. You know, and and. Uh, uh, so, and I think that's what the psalmist is saying. How am I going to keep my way pure? The only way I'm going to manage it is if, I, if, if my mind is just filled with God's Word. Yeah. I think God is using the deception and failure to into all of our lives. And, you know, at this point, I say, well, I shouldn't do that. I still do that. Yeah. And, and it is an area where I haven't necessarily known or focused on God's Word. Yeah. But I don't really see the need for that either. Yeah. These things develop a need. They, yeah. they make a. Uh, uh, there's there's a passage in Isaiah that talks about the bruise that um, there there comes from these kind of experiences, and it's all about a bruise. It doesn't hurt. 
unless you touch it. You know, and those bruises can be a real blessing. Yeah. This sin this was a bruise for Isaac. Yeah. You know, that, uh, yeah, he didn't notice it all the time, but if you got close to it and God touched that, yeah. then it kicked up. Oh, yeah. Not yeah, not going there again. And boy, there's truth in that. And I look back on my life, some of the serious mistakes I've made. You know, when I when I veer close to that ditch again, you know, like you say, it's like a bruise. And Lord, and I go, oh, wait a minute, I've been there before. I don't want to do that again. Right, the passage in Hebrews I'll talking about uh, chapter five, verse thirteen and fourteen. Right. Mm-hmm. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, but he is obeyed. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there's been a couple things we've mentioned here, but just by summary before we go on, is, is, uh, is this idea of training, which is, is again the idea of, of having our minds and our experience fully developed as far as the Word of God is concerned and memorizing and studying and, and meditating on God's Word, that sort of thing. Uh, and we've mentioned prayer, the need for prayer, of just crying out to God to open our eyes and to help us see uh, and to reveal our blind spot. There are a couple other areas of ways that came to my mind if I was meditating on this question. And, 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 and one of them is... That, that I really need to do, I, I really need to have the humility to be able to listen to friends who will speak the truth to me. I need to be able, when somebody is willing to confront me and has the courage uh, to confront me and challenge me about things or, or question me in areas, I have to have the humility to learn from that. I don't, de- I don't, I'm not dependent upon man's opinion, but God places certain people in our lives. Uh, to help us and to keep us from being deceived and to keep us from from going astray. But if we're too proud to hear their admonitions or their rebukes or their instruction, then we're obviously uh, we've we've forfeited one of the great assets that the Lord has given us to help us avoid deception. And then, of course, the last thing, and it's really related to all these others that I said, is I think that would, I think one of the things is just cultivating repentance. When God speaks to us about something. Now, what we have here in Esau's case, is we, or in Isaac's case, is we have a case where he just, over a period of time, became progressively more sensual. Now, I don't know how or when God may have pointed that out to him or touched him in that area and told him he was going astray in that area. I don't know the answer to that question. But I know that in our lives, when God is touching us, when God is saying, this is an area you need to straighten out on, or this is an area you need to correct, and we don't do it, then we're begging for deception. Because eventually we get to a point where we begin to justify those things that we refuse to repent of. And that really then leads us down a very dark road. There's probably a lot more we could say on that area, but hopefully those those things will be helpful to you as you think about that area. Because it is in some ways a frightening thing to think about our potential for deception and how, how dangerous it is. Look at Isaac there. Like almost all he had left in joy. So Jacob came in there and he says he got up. Like he's only waiting. All he can do is lay around. Yeah. Time. Yeah. You know, it does he, seem like he's quite sick at this point. Yeah. He, he gets up and he, you know, all he has to look forward to is something good to eat. Yeah. Okay. Well.
So we have this confrontation there, or this encounter of the blind with the deceiver, and we see where that leads. But, but I want to think for a few minutes now on, on Jacob, because I don't know about you, but I read this story, and it just doesn't it just make your blood run cold reading this story. Reading how Jacob comes in to his father. I mean, this isn't this isn't his enemy, you know. This isn't an adversary. This this is his father, and he comes in to his father, and and there are at least seven specific overt lies or deceptions. Four of them in one sentence. Uh, in verse uh, 19, he says. I am Esau, first lie. You're firstborn, second lie. I've done as you told me, third lie. Get up, please, and eat of my game, fourth lie, that you may bless me. And, and then you go on down, and uh, uh, in uh, verse 19, he refers to it as my, uh, or excuse me, verse uh, 20, he, he, he says it's, it is a game that God has provided. He says, your God has provided this for me. And uh, so he makes, of course, another lie. He went out and got it himself, and there was no particularly divine provision there at all. Uh, there, of course, is the whole deception of the skins in verses 22 and 23. And then finally, when his dad, in just one desperate effort to make sure this is absolutely right before I move ahead, says, are you really my son? And then he just says once again, without batting an eye, he says, yes, I am your son. And, and so you see with Jacob here, as he, you know, once he's gotten over this initial pragmatic objection that he had with his mother, when he, when he gets here into his father's presence, the lies and the deception just roll off of his tongue like water. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely natural to him. And he's completely quick-witted about it. You know? How did this happen so quickly? You know, how did you get it? Get it so, oh, God, your God gave it to me. You know, it's just so instantaneous. And so, and he lies with such ease and he lies with such coldness and such callousness. He had to, if he had stopped and paused for even a moment, he had to know there would be a time when there would be a reckoning for this. <laughs> she does happen to overhear a lot of things in this chapter. It's interesting how much she overhears. So, but I just, I just think about that and about about how easily he lies and how coldly he lies. Pretty audacious to invoke God in your life. Yeah, it is. Yeah, although you'll notice it's your God, not my God, that he invokes there. Uh, and, and I want to address that in a, in a few moments when we get to that. But, uh, but, but, of course, we realize he's playing the role of Esau there when he says, your God. So he doesn't call him my God because he knows Esau would not call him my God. That's instructive. But I want to point out to you, too, that, that neither would Jacob have called him my God because God does not, Jacob does not consider him my God at this point in his life. But... <clears throat> But just going back to this ease with which he lies, we understand now, of course, that he's called the deceiver for a reason. Uh, and, and like Jim said, he's pretty well trained by his mother. 
but I don't blame Rebecca for all of this. I think this comes naturally to, to Jacob. I think he's a skilled liar. And I, and I think the reason that Rebecca had confidence he could pull it off is because she knew he could do it. She'd seen him. She'd seen him operate. She knew he had the potential. Yeah. Well, one thing, too, that's a little spooky is that the seekers study you. They know your weakness for you. Yeah. And they know the timing. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're vulnerable, they strike. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we see this in, in Jacob, and I, and I, and aside from the fact that I just think he, he's. He's cultivated being a good liar his whole life, probably. You know, he, that is his name, after all. And uh, and so, so, but even setting that aside, I have to ask myself, what, you know, what, by what sophistry did he justify this in his mind? You know, even the most evil people find some justification for their actions. And I, and as I was reading this story, on my mind is just reeling at this guy who lies with such ease and with such apparent lack of conscience. And I asked myself, by what what sophistry does he use to to justify the, this horrendous treatment of his father? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty. I think it's pretty clear he doesn't think Esau deserves it. And the other thing I think he thinks is pretty clear is that he does. Now, I don't think he realizes why he deserves it. You know, uh, he certainly doesn't have that straight. But what I think's go- but what I think, yeah, but what I think is going on here is we've got a guy who, for all his life up to this point, thinks he's gotten a raw deal. By the accident of birth, he was born second. You know, that's a bummer. You know, I mean, there's all this blessing and birthright was available. If I just come out of the womb first, I would have it all. But I came out second. And I didn't come out second 30 minutes later or an hour later. I came out on his heel. By an accident of birth, I'm second. And I, I, I don't really doubt at all that Jacob was a bitter man. That Jacob was resentful. Because of the accident of birth. That's the attitude of most people that do those kind of things is they think they have a raw deal in life, therefore they are entitled to take something they should have gotten anyway. Yeah. That's yeah. the attitude of a lot of people that steal or yeah. cheat or to get things. The guy reminds me of Abraham who was trying desperately to solve the problem with human beings. Yeah. And here is Jacob. He's doing exactly the same thing. He's uh-huh. trying to solve the problem. It's not, it's not a problem. It's, it's not, not going to be a problem. It's all going to work out. Yeah. But he's trying to solve it on his own. Yeah. Yeah. This is blessing. Comes all the financial pluses of stuff, right? Well, uh, to some degree, and if not with the blessing, with the birthright, yes. And they're, as we've said, they're, they're interlinked together. You can't really separate the two. And so, yes, all the financial and material blessings and, and, and the spiritual dimensions too come with it. And I, and I think at this point in Jacob's life, he isn't really thinking all that much about the spiritual aspects of it as he is about the material. Think about Rebecca. Rebecca, with the both of his sons, and he's going to take care of her. 
Yeah. 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 She. Yeah. She thinks Jacob will, and when she does send Jacob off, she thinks she's sending him off for a few days. I think she never sees him again. That's not real clear from Scripture, but I think she never sees him again. But that's another issue. I'm still dealing with Jacob here. And so, so we talked about his bitterness and resentment, I think, over what, uh, what I think was his bitterness and resentment over the accident of birth. But I think he's bitter and resentful about something else. What would that be? His father's favoritism yeah. was not there. Boy, doesn't that cut like a knife? Doesn't that cut like a knife? And I just I can't I can't help but imagine. Of course, he was his mother's favorite, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same to know that your dad favors your other your brother more than you. And 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 you know because that's one of the things that puzzled me about this thing. Like I said, it's one thing to lie like that to your enemy. It's another thing to lie like that to your dad. How did he do that? Because he was so hurt. Because he was so pained. Now, the problem, though, is that that Jacob had the oracle of God on his life. He had the promise of God on his life. And, And the reason that Jacob became bitter and resentful and could act in this horrific way towards his father and towards his brother. Because, because his faith wasn't in the oracle. And he looked at his circumstances. He looked at how he was born. And he looked at the way his dad treated him. And he looked at the circumstances. And he became resentful and bitter over the circumstances instead of looking at God and saying, God is in control of all this. And God will set all this right. And because God doesn't set it all right or doesn't appear to be setting it right, he feels like he's justified in doing it himself. Right. Oh, yeah, such a contrast with Joseph, yeah. Yeah. Just think how much different this story would have been if Jacob had trusted God. What a different story we would have. Of course, then we wouldn't have the example and warning that we have. (laughs) That we all need because all of us have a little bit of Jacob in us. Well, here's the startling thing then. If we get to this point in the story after all this deception and this back and forth and everything and, and the smelling of the garments, and then what happens? Pardon? He blesses him. And the oracle of God is fulfilled in his life. Wait a minute. We got four people here, every one of them doing everything possible they can to mess this thing up. Right? And somehow, it all works out. Somehow, God turns all this evil and accomplishes His purposes and fulfills His Word. Now, remember last week, facetiously I said, when somebody said, well, they should have trusted God, and facetiously I said, they didn't have time to trust God. <laughs> you know, We're in an emergency here. We're in a crisis. We've got to get this problem solved. They didn't have time to trust God. 
But now we see that God was able, when all of them walked according to the flesh, He was still able to fulfill His purposes. Because God was determined that Jacob would have the blessing. So, if it is true that with all four of them doing it their own way, God was still able to fulfill his purposes. Would he not also have been able to fulfill his purposes if two of them had said, I'm going to trust God in this. Now, we could say, well, if God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, then what difference does it make? Well, as far as the ultimate final purpose of God, it didn't make any difference. But it made a world of difference in their lives. And as I said, I I don't think Rebecca ever saw her son again. I think she paid a terrible price. She left. They they thought he was leaving for a few days and he left for 20 to 40 years. And there's no mention of her again in Scripture. When he came back, he comes back and he sees his father. But there's no evidence he ever sees his mother again. What a terrible price she paid for what she did. And Jacob, I mean, we're going to spend weeks and weeks and weeks studying the cost of this in Jacob's life. What would it, how different would the story have been if they had trusted God? And they just allowed God to work it out. But they didn't. So, Isaac then blesses his son, whom he thinks is Esau, but it's really Jacob. But the blessing is a prophecy. The blessing is really a prophecy because none of these things happen in Jacob's life. Well, some of them do. The, the abundance he does. He, I mean, yeah, in, in Jacob's life, he does get wealthy, and he does. But, 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 but most of this blessing never. Even, you know, the whole thing about bowing, his brothers bowing before him. The only picture we see of bowing between those two brothers is what? Jacob bowing to Esau. Yeah. So this is prophetic here. Here's the stunning thing about this. With all this flesh, all this carnality, all this walking according to man's ways going on here, Isaac is prophesying by the Holy Spirit. And he's not just prophesying about the life of this son whom he doesn't even know who he is standing in front of him. But he's prophesying about that ultimate son of Abraham whose birth we are celebrating this time of year. And in the midst of all this ugliness and all this junk that's going on here in this chapter, a prophecy is issued about one who is going to have dominion over all the nations and before whom all the nations will bow and worship. And one whom, when cursed, will be cursed and one whom, when blessed, will bless others. And it's a reminder to us of that, of that infant whose birth we celebrate this time of year is really the fulfillment of a prophecy made eons before. In this situation, in this place, where everybody was doing everything wrong, and Isaac prophesies by the Holy Spirit 
and promises us this son of Abraham. And that's what Mary says in her exaltation when she discovers that she's pregnant and she feels the baby leaping in her womb and she speaks that, rem- that remarkable exaltation, the Magnificat. And, 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 and towards the end of it, she talks about how, how, God has, how God has purposed and favored Israel as He promised Abraham and the fathers forever. And, and, it, and Mary is remembering at that moment when that little infant is flipping around inside of her womb, she's remembering these promises made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And she is remembering the faithfulness of God. And when God speaks, He keeps His Word. And God keeps His Word, though all men are liars. And that's what we see in this story. Okay? Well, next week we'll go on and we'll see uh, Esau's reaction to these things.